Welcome to Financial Modelers Corner, where we discuss the art and science of financial modeling with your host, Paul Barnhurst. Financial Modelers Corner is sponsored by Financial Modeling Institute. Welcome to Financial Modelers Corner. I am your host, Paul Barnhurst. This is a brand new podcast where we will talk all about the art and science of financial modeling with distinguished financial modelers from around the globe. Financial Modelers Corner podcast is brought to you by Financial Modeling Institute. FMI offers the most respected accreditations in financial modeling. I am excited to welcome this week's guest on the show, David Brown. David, welcome to Financial Modelers Corner. Thank you. Hi, Paul. And thanks for this. This is great. Yeah, no, very excited to have you here. So we like to start every interview off with a kind of a fun question because we see our share of challenges in financial modeling. So I'm going to ask you, what's the worst financial model you ever saw? Wow, that's a tough question. I've seen terrible, <laughs> I've seen, I've seen sins. Well, I call it sins, right? I've seen sins done on Excel. Sins, lots of sins. The worst one, I guess, is the worst one because of the impact that it's supposed to have had. So there's this model that um, I wouldn't mention, but I mean, probably a couple of millions of people relied on this model. Let me put it that way, right? It's a huge model that, that had huge impact. The model was um, kind of analyzing probably like 500 different entities, right? 500. It did that by just analyzing one and projecting what the rest were doing. I mean, this is a huge model, right? With millions of people relying on the data and you're only you're estimating 500 by kind of an average of one model. I mean, that's, that's one thing. And then the other thing was there were inputs and calculations there was no input sheet, calculation sheet, output sheet. No, it was all a mishmash. It was all a very colorful mishmash. And that's another thing, color. They loved color. Color everywhere, man. A color riot. It was more like a cake. It was more like a pizza, right? With lots of extra toppings. First of all, I was like in shock that, look, this is what you're using to make these critical decisions. I was supposed to kind of rebuild the entire model. So yeah, that was to me absolutely the worst looking. The calculations didn't make sense. It didn't balance. There was one suspense kind of accounts to balance it. It was a nightmare. Yeah, it sounds bad. Color. Yeah. When they put color everywhere, it's, it's painful. It's like, you know, I teach a data visualization course and I always try to tell the students use color sparingly mm -hmm. and have a purpose for using it. Don't just color the rainbow because it looks pretty. Yeah, go read Stephen Few, right? Read Stephen Few and read uh, Edward Tufte. Got one of his books right there. Yeah, so those are the people, there's so many people I can give you a name to go read and understand that, look, color is so powerful. Yeah, you don't need a traffic light. You don't need red, yellow, red, amber, green. You, you don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. So, you know, from that model, what was the takeaway? What was your learning experience from working on that model? My learning experience was I liked structure, right? I kind of like uh, structure. I like to spend extra time building structure so that everything else is fully automated. So that's my approach. I learned that that approach really made sense uh, because um, it takes it longer. I mean, I can remember some projects where two project teams, I was looking for the structure around the reconciliation we were doing. It spent days and days. My manager was like, how far have you gone? I'm like 0%. The other team was 10%, 15%, up to 40%. And I was still at 0%. Once you find the structure and you find the drivers and you find what is wrong, then guess what? Immediately you're done because 
I moved from 0% to 100% in one day because I had found the pattern. So I, I found that patterns are key. Structure is key. When you're building a model, you need to have structure. That didn't have any structure whatsoever. So error rates were huge. And so, yeah, that's one key thing is structure. You need proper structure. Couldn't agree more. I mean, structure really is how do you design the model, right? You got to think about it logically. Otherwise, that error rate goes up so much higher because it's so easy to have errors in Excel. So I, I totally agree with you. So could you start now by just telling us a little bit about your background? How did you end up where you're at today? Just, you know, give a little bit of your history to our audience. All right. So for me, um, I have a mixed match of history. So I have, I, I'm born in Nigeria, um, in a town called Kano, Kano, Nigeria. It's a northern, uh, northern Nigeria. And then I, I grew up there and I kind of liked challenges growing up. So I really like to kind of solve problems and stuff. Then I got introduced to Excel very early. Uh, my parents ran a school there and uh, then they had payroll and stuff. So I started walking, doing the payroll around the late 80s, early 90s. I was working on payroll as a kid and uh, doing the uh, actual calculations of taxes and stuff, kind of like that. So that was Excel, early, early, early Excel then. I mean, then that kind of uh, graduated to, okay, I like maths. For some reason, I thought maths and accounting were the same thing. So I, <laughs> I went and read accounting in, in university. Big error. It's not maths. For those that don't know, accounting isn't maths. <laughs> I got a root shock there. But then I, I, I learned accounting. I liked it. I loved finance. I, I started doing finance. I, I was involved with CFA, uh, chartered accountant, uh, chartered tax. I did a lot of management. And then I, I loved Excel. Then I joined Anderson at the time. And that was in 2001, actually in September 11th, 2001. What a day. Yeah, what a day, really. September 11th, 2001 is when I joined Anderson, uh, Arthur Anderson at the time. That's my birthday, by the way, for anyone listening, you could send me a gift on 9-11. Anyway, so, um, yeah. So the Let me write that down real quick, make sure I got that. <laughs> gift to David on 9-11. Yeah, so... <laughs> So I, I joined and, and, and that was really great tax. So all my modeling skills, so to say, I was using that as a tax consultant, building models around tax. And then I joined the corporate finance team, building models around that. So building really detailed models. The only negative side there was no one could review my models because no one really had financial modeling skills. My manager, my partner, they really didn't have financial modeling skills. And thank goodness I was building it very structured and right. So hopefully most of them didn't have errors. So uh, that was my love for modeling right from there. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to start my firm. And that was in 2006. So I started D. Brown Consulting. And the main thing there for me was, look, Excel isn't used for solving problems. And uh, at the time, I was spending 30 minutes every single day solving problems for people on Excel. 30 minutes every day. So I saw I've, I saw thousands of different issues. So I kind of built a database of problem solving with Excel. And most of them were really modeled. Every problem was an input, was an output that couldn't be done right because the inputs and the calculations didn't make sense. And that is a model. Input, calculations, outputs. That is a model. Financial model, the outputs are really financial statements. It's just like a natural progression to just move to financial modeling. So I was using my structured approach in Excel to solve all sorts of problems, building that database. And I thought, you know what? The world needs a training on effective use of Excel to solve problems. And that's why I started my firm in 2006, mainly to solve problems and teach people how to solve problems with Excel. 
ah, well, I didn't know much about business. I started and of course, no clients. You go to a client and say, hey, I can solve all your problems. Said, yeah, very nice. Who have you worked for before? I'm like, eh, nobody. You've been my first. Uh, we'll call you. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so that's how I started. But I did a lot of free, I did a lot of free trainings and stuff. And of course, uh, the rest is history. So my first gig was really raising finance, building a detailed model to raise finance for our clients. And we kind of moved on from there. And now what we do is we have a financial modeling academy. We do quite a bit of work um, collaborating with all sorts of wonderful people all over the world. I'm so glad to meet Paul. So hopefully we'll collaborate with Paul as well. So we, we're based in Africa. So we have this financial modeling academy where we're trying to get lots of people to become top modelers, right? And uh, to be able to help their organization make better decisions with models because really uh, modeling is the core of what we do but we also use we do two kinds of modeling we do the data modeling which we build data analytics solutions on power bi and all the analytics and then we do financial modeling which i think is more like future you're projecting for the future so the past and the future together i think that's that's really what we do now and yeah it's been great thank you i really appreciate that background and and I can relate to some of the things you said there. You know, Excel is really about solving problems, as you mentioned, whether it's financial outputs or operational outputs or whatever those outputs are. You got some inputs, you got some calculations. I appreciated that. And I loved your story there, starting the business and trying to get it off the ground and the challenges of getting that first client. I think everybody, you know, can relate to that on some level that's gone into business for themselves. So one thing you mentioned, I'm just curious, ask a little bit about this. You mentioned for five years, you spent half an hour every day solving a problem. Was that deliberate? Like, did you just say, look, I'm going to spend 30 minutes and how did you, like, where did the problems come from? Or, you know, how did you come about doing that? I love to teach right from, as a kid, my, my teaching career started at age eight. Wow. How did that start? <laughs> what happened at age eight was my teacher, uh, teacher in class was trying to teach all, some algebra or something. I can't remember even the topic and no one was getting it except me. She tried for two days in maths. She could, no one got it. And she said, hey, David, come and teach the class. So I kind of climbed the desk. I was so short and I took the chalk and I taught the class at age eight and everyone got it. So I taught the different method and everybody got it. So that's where training started for me, right? So I love to teach. I love how to break things down, make it simple. So Excel was like my Swiss army knife, right? Knowing Excel, I'm like, wow, this is my Swiss army knife to solve anything. And I quickly built a framework because, so when I was in Anderson, people quickly gravitated to look, if you have any problem in Excel, that's the guy, go to tax, go to the tax department, that's the guy. And I was happy to lend a hand, right? So I got to a point, even clients, and they were calling me at the office to help them solve a problem. So on the phone, I will visualize what's going on and say, hey, go to cell A5. No, go to cell A5. Type equals to VLOOKUP and blah, 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 blah. And on the phone, I was solving problems. So it just became guys solving problems. And I, I was happy to solve problems and spend extra time at work actually solving problems for people. And yeah, that's how I built that database of problem solving uh, with Excel. Yeah. I love that. And I loved your story, eight years old, up on the desk, teaching everybody. It reminds me, I think you'll get a laugh out of this. So I was teaching some kids in church primary. They were 11 years old. And we had one boy in the class and a bunch of girls. And I walk in and the boy was like super smart and he loved math and teaching. And he's drawing on the board a math matrix multiplications and trying to explain it to the other 11 year old girls. And they're just all looking at him like, what in the world are you doing? Like, we have zero interest in this. It was pretty, pretty funny because just reminding you teaching reminded me of that moment of a young kid trying to, you know, because he loved to teach. 
That That's a great story. I, I love that. That's fun to teach your colleges. So thank you for sharing that. And I think there's some great advice there. And just for people in general, if you like solving problems, you know, spend some time on it each day. That, that learning is invaluable if you do that every day. Yeah. And at the time, um, there was this uh, Microsoft site, uh, MrExcel.com, had this uh, forum at that time. So I'm going there and just solve. You see people, lots of problems. Just go and try and solve those problems. Your skills will just go way up. When you solve people's problems, you see things in different perspectives. You just get better. Yeah, I agree. I think forums are a great way. Mr. Excel. Yeah, I've been to that one. And there's, you know, a lot of them out there. In today's business world, financial modeling skills are more important than ever. With Financial Modeling Institute's Advanced Financial Modeler Accreditation Program, you can become recognized as an expert in the field by validating your financial modeling skills. Join the Financial Modeling Institute's community of top financial modelers, gain access to extensive learning resources, and attain the prestigious Advanced Financial Modeler Accreditation. Visit www.fminstitute.com backslash podcast and use code FMC15 to save 15% when you register. Shifting gears just a little bit here, a while back you wrote a piece on LinkedIn called Storytelling with Ratios. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, can you talk a little bit about that piece and why you wrote it? Yeah, storytelling without numbers or ratio analysis without numbers, really. Well, I teach a course called Finance for Non-Finance Managers. What that course is, when I designed that course, because I'm an instructional designer as well, so I have various hats, instructional designer, master trainer for the Association for Talent Development, ATD. So I designed a course on finance for non-finance with the premise that the reason it's finance for non-finance is because people don't like numbers. People don't like finance. They're kind of people that have a phobia for numbers. So I thought, okay, how can I teach ratio analysis without numbers? So I devised this uh, course where I'm teaching detailed analysis of the balance sheet and ratio analysis with, without a single number. Of course, first of all, to kill the phobia for numbers. So they will do this detailed analysis, no numbers, and then eventually they'll be happy to look at the numbers. So I take the balance sheet and I break it down into four, five boxes. The left-hand side is assets, the right-hand side is funding, so assets and funding. So I start off by saying, hey, every business has assets and they need to be funded. And these two balance. But take assets and split it back into two. So take assets and split it into fixed assets and current assets. Now, of course, your accountants in the house is not called fixed assets anymore. It's called uh, non-current assets. I like the old school way. Fixed assets and current <laughs> assets. Thanks. And then, <laughs> and then take the funding side and then split it into three. So, so the fixed assets and current assets, first of all, your long-term assets and then your short-term assets. Then take the funding side and split it into long-term and short-term. They understand that, right? So long-term being, you know, splitting it into equity and debt. So it's just equity and debt. So equity, long-term debt, that's your long side. And then the short side is current liabilities. That's what we call it. Oh, great. So they now understand that. So imagine in your head now there are five boxes. To the left, two, fixed assets, current assets. To the right, equity, long-term uh, liabilities, and current liabilities. Then you now say, hey, there's the long side and the short side. The long side is fixed assets. And to the right of funding, equity and long-term debt. That's how you should fund fixed assets. And then you just color that and you see, can you see there's a mismatch? If the, everything is done well, then they will be kind of the same size, right? And then if you check current liabilities and current assets, those are the funding for the short side. And can you see that gap? Well, guess what? That's called working capital. Then you 
kind of build that out and then play it over time. The nice thing is you play it over time. So those boxes move over time. And as you played like a simulation on PowerPoint, right? So you see the assets and fixed assets, the long side and the short side kind of changing over time. And then you pause it and ask them, so what do you think? I've told you a rule. Long side should be equal, short side should be equal, and you know you're a balanced company, right? What's happening here? Oh, wow, it seems they bought more assets. Oh, they bought this. Oh, current assets and current liabilities, the difference is quite much. It looks like almost like a, a one to two. Guess what? They're already doing ratio analysis without numbers. So by the time they finish that activity, they're like, what? I understand finance. I understand balance sheet. Well, you did it without numbers. And then I can teach them numbers. So that was the whole idea behind designing that. I love that. I'd never thought of it that way, but it made so much sense as you're explaining the boxes and just showing how the size of the box moves, right? You can kind of see, all right, that's two to one or three to one or what what happened here? There's a big mismatch. Why do they have a lot more current versus long-term? And so they start thinking about it without seeing a single number. And then I would imagine when you introduce the numbers at the end of this, they're like, all right, this isn't scary. I get it now. Exactly. That's the point. Yeah, no, I, I love that way of showing that. That's a great way of uh, doing that. And I like when you said instructional design, I have a passion for that because my wife's an instructional designer. Oh, wow. She studied under the uh, one of the founders in the field. He created one of the two kind of main frameworks that are used today for instructional design. So he, who, who is that? Uh, Merrill is his name. Merrill. Oh, okay. Very nice. He uh, created the framework back in the 70s. And so she studied toward the end of his his career and you know, talks a lot about it. So I, I have a passion for that because you make sure I do. <laughs> so that's fun. So I love the the ratios example and I really appreciate that. And I think that's a great lesson for people that are working with non-finances to think of ways to display the data without the numbers, you know, visually, because you can learn so much that way. When it comes to financial models, just a question I have for you. Why do you think they're so critical to making informed business decisions? Why do you think it is that, you know, we, we are so dependent on models in general? A lot of times, right? So executives do a lot of decisions with hunches, right? They just, they just, they have hunches and our hunches are good. Like there's experience. There's a lot of experience there where you're, you're going to make a decision and say, look, I think that's, that just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. So it doesn't feel right. It's a good way to start, right? But you don't end with it doesn't feel right, right? You need some numbers. You need some numbers to kind of help you say, yeah, it doesn't feel right. And I knew it didn't. Look at the model. The model kind of tells you, yeah, it's true. It didn't feel right. I knew it didn't feel right. Okay, fine. That's for the one or two times you got it, right? The other eight times you didn't get it, the model said yes. So anyway, so the key <laughs> thing is the model, the model needs to help kind of validate those hunches, kind of validate those innate things that you have as an executive, right? So in decision-making, when you have a model and there are scenarios there, so those hunches can be scenarios. So why, why do you have that hunch? I think it should be 20%. I think it should be 30%. So all those assumptions that your executives have, right? Feed it into your model as scenarios, run the numbers, look at the historicals. So it's just a natural progression that, look, you need financial models that will give you financial outputs that help you make better data-driven decisions. So financial modeling to me is critical, which is why in a business you have the FP&A guys. The FP&A guys are the modelers. They're the modelers of the business. And um, many organizations don't have FP&A directly, don't have a department FP&A. So there's a mishmash of people doing all sorts of stuff. So it's good to kind of aggregate them into one maybe unit and then let them make those data-driven modeling decisions by building a solid model, structured well, that can help 
execs make decisions. Modeling is, is super, is paramount. And many executives are realizing that and are constantly wanting people to be able to build models. And that makes sense. Very simple to understand models, but also that help them make better data-driven decisions. So yeah, it's pretty critical. I agree. You know, you've started to see over the last decade, a lot more companies listing they want financial modeling specifically as a skill, not just Excel or not just data visualization. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we have FMI today, you know, seeing that accreditation that they've done and kind of speaking of Financial Modeling Institute, I know, you know, in a little bit, how do you think about, you know, FMI and having a, an accreditation out there for people to be able to demonstrate that they, hey, I can build a three statement model or I understand modeling. How do you think that's helped the, the profession to have an accreditation out there? Well, I'll tell you something. As in, it's um, I'm a member of the CFA Institute, and I had the chance to have a chat with the former president, uh, Paul Smith. And I had, I had a chat with Paul, and Paul asked Paul, I said, Paul, when it comes to finance experts, I mean, I love the whole thing around finance and stuff, but to make it real, you need to be able to build a model. You need to be able to say, hey, this project is wonderful, but you need to build a model and prove that, yeah, potentially based on all the scenarios, it's it's great and it works. But unfortunately, many finance professionals at the time didn't have financial modeling skills. So you, you, you had to go look for a top financial model and bring them on your team. And I was like, couldn't there be a way for actually assessing those skills and those people, those skills and assess and know that, look, Yes, this person does have financial modeling skills. And Paul rightly said, look, at the CFA Institute, there's it's mainly a multiple choice and theory-based exams. Modeling is a practical thing. It's a practical, it's practicals. And I was so glad that, look, I said, look, well, there's an institute that's actually doing this right. And they are the Financial Modeling Institute. And they're not doing it based on rules. They're saying, look, these are principles that you should follow and build a model. And let's see if we can validate that you do know how to build a model, not the theory of it. And the way the Financial Modeling Institute does is they give you a four-hour exam where you're starting with a blank spreadsheet with some historical data and you need to generate assumptions and you need to build a detailed model and you submit that detailed Excel-based model and they go through it and give you a score and see if you pass. To me, there's no, there are not many exams like that where you're actually building something. And it's amazing how they've devised this into a program and uh, they're able to validate the skill sets of uh, anyone that really wants to learn, learn this stuff. So Kudos to Financial Modeling Institute. Uh, I think it's a, it's a great thing. I wish I had this growing up. I wouldn't have wasted a lot of years trying to learn the best practices, doing all sorts of things wrong for 10, 20 years. And then now I know the right stuff, right? I mean, I wish I had that yeah, starting up. But yeah, people now have that. You can start off the right way. And uh, the rest is history. It's, it's great. I totally agree with you, especially when you said, I wish I would have had it early in my career, right? I went into my first job and it's like, well, here's Excel and we need this bill. You start throwing it together. And you know, I look at some of the things I built now and I'm like, man, if I just had thought about some good design principles, used color coding, you know, done best practice, this thing would have been so much easier to use instead of going, wow, I just can't wait to rebuild this. And then never having time. And as I like to say, you know, whose problem is a broken model? It's the next guy's problem, right? Because you just kind of <laughs> limp along and then the next guy's stuck with it. So I've, I, I'm really grateful we're seeing so much more being done to help people understand design and best practice. Because for a long time, I think it was a little bit, especially corporate finance, it felt like a little bit of the Wild West. 
where you're just like anything went just get 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 a number out there and just put it together and just led to some real you know real ugly models like as you mentioned the one you saw right 500 entities off one just makes no sense Next question here, kind of bringing together, you mentioned storytelling, and I know you, your firm, you do data analytics. So how do you see kind of the intersection between tools like Power BI and data analytics and financial modeling? How do you bring those together? I'm so glad that I love data analytics. And before, before Power BI was even born, I'd been using it. So uh, Power BI is built into Excel, by the way. I mean, you have Power Pivot, you have DAX, you have Power Query, all those technologies with SQL and uh, MDX is what formed Power BI. That's how Power BI was born. A big, big part of it was built in Excel. If you look at the Power BI right now, every single new thing in Power BI is like pulling something from Excel. If you want to know what's next in Power BI, check what's Excel doing that Power BI is not, and Power BI will. At the end of the day, this is an excellent tool. Power BI is such an excellent tool. And since it's born in Excel, and since we love Excel for modeling, it's like a natural mix. Now, what I say is you need to use both, right? So for me, I take financial modeling as you're building this operational system. This operational system where you're putting inputs and stuff and it's bringing out something. At the end of the day, you're generating outputs with this financial model. You may have 20, 30 scenarios. You need to export those outputs and then import them into Power BI and then do reporting with Power BI. So to me, they work perfectly together. And that's how I build models. I build models in Excel, detailed models. They export the outputs of those kind of form the inputs for my data analytics. And then that data analytics looks at the past data plus my modeling future data projections to give you some really wonderful analysis, right? Eventually, I think you could build some simple models directly in Power BI. So Power BI could be a source of building models directly, but those really complex ones, I think think Excel still has it, but um, I think you can work together. It can work together very well. And I agree with you. I've seen, you know, some others do that. I've seen a number of situations. Uh, if you're familiar with Lance Rubin, citizen modeling, you know, I've seen him do a lot of models where he takes the data and puts it into Power BI to visualize it and help like you do bring that data together. And I think we're definitely seeing more and more of that. I've seen some programs out there that focus on helping people understand, okay, you've done the model, you've built the Excel. Now, how do you visualize it? How do you bring in the Power BI? So I agree with you. I think it's great to see because right? It makes it easier to tell that story, to be able to visualize it versus just having an Excel. And yeah, you could build graphs. You could do a lot of visualization in Excel, but I think there's there's something different of having a tool that you can automatically update and just some of those benefits of, you know, bringing it to an analytics tool. I agree. So, you know, kind of next question as we talk, you know, we talked a little about data analytics. The other thing I think we've heard a ton of over the last six months is AI, right? Ever since ChatGPT came out, it seems like it's all anyone wants to talk about. And then you've had BARD and so how do you see, you know, AI kind of disrupting or changing financial modeling? Where do you see that fitting over the, you know, the short term and maybe a little more the long term? How do you see that playing out? I mean, AI is great. I think for the short term, you should just take AI as that, take chat, GPT and AI in general as your personal assistant. Take it as one really smart personal assistant. And think about when you build models, right? I'm building a model and stuff, one obscure industry. I'm not too sure. Ah, let me go to Google. No, go to ChatGPT first. Check your personal assistant. Hey, um, this um, stuff around the oil and gas related stuff, I mean, there's this new law that came out. How will that affect my model and my calculation around equity? Type that. Send that to ChatGPT. ChatGPT gives you a detailed answer and stuff. You can use 
that personal assistant, Chat GPT, to enhance how you build models and kind of speed up how you build models. So in the short term, I see that happening. Just take it as your personal assistant. I actually ask questions like a human being. You get better answers that way. Now, the second thing, obviously, uh, Chat GPT AI in general will build models for you. They're going to be able to build models in Excel. Again, just like a personal assistant, like some junior modeler that has built a model, you need to review those models and ensure that everything around what the client wants is what that model says. So before, if you are spending 80% building and 20% talking to the client and understanding details of what the client needs, internal client or external client, you're going to flip that. You're going to spend 20% in the model mechanics and 80% in the human mechanics of talking to the client and understanding in detail what they need so that your model can be super, super efficient. So AI will help you build some part of that, but it's still left for you to understand the purpose of this and the entire purpose and in general, be able to do more of that human connection and that uh, telling the story. Uh, and I think that's the symbiosis that's going to happen. Lots of people are scared of what's going to happen, but to me, I think just embrace it. It's here. There's nothing you can do about it. Embrace it and see how you can be far more productive than what you're doing now. And that's how you can enjoy AI. I love that answer and agree with everything you said. The uh, way I've heard it put by a lot of people is think of AI as a junior analyst or an intern, right? A personal assistant. You still need to kind of validate that work. And when I train people and show stuff, I always like to show, hey, here's some situations where it got it wrong. So you can't just rely on it. You need to be able to make sure, does it make sense? Does it look right? But there's areas where it's incredibly helpful. I've been amazed at some of the stuff it can do. So I, I agree with you. And we'll also see it in the future building models for us. And that's great because it allows us to spend more time with the customer, focus more on those assumptions versus you know some of that time building those standard things. So I, I'm excited for it and couldn't agree more with the last part you said of it's here, just embrace it. There's no point in fighting it. We're not going to change it. It's going to, the cat's out of the bag, so to speak, and it's not going back in. So if you fight it, you're spending brainwaves wasting time. How do I fight it? Instead of brainwaves wasting, spending time saying, how do I work with this thing? And how do I enhance how I do my work, right? So, so spend time doing that. No, don't, no need to fight. It's a, it's, a, it's a losing battle if you continue fighting, yeah. We've talked a little bit about kind of visualization, the data analysis. You've talked about how you had your storytelling with ratios and so what advice would you offer to financial professionals to ensure that they are able to help non-finance professionals understand the, the models you build? Any advice you'd offer there? You need to get into their shoes, right? So you just need to pretend you don't know what you know. And there's this thing, there's this thing called the course of expertise or the course of, um, yeah, I think that's what it's called. You have this expertise and you feel that everyone should know it. How on earth can someone know VLOOKUP in Excel? What? What's that? No, of course, you just have to realize that, look, some people are not you. And so you need to come down to their level, understand where they are at, and then ask yourself, what would you do in that situation, right? So it's a bit difficult to do that. So bring yourself down there. Once you're there, your, your smarts are enough for you to know what to do. And, and how to kind of approach uh, getting them more comfortable with numbers. I like that. Put yourself in their shoes. That's, that's a great advice there to start is try to think about it from their, their position because it gives you a different perspective. So this next section, this is one of my favorite sections. It's kind of kind of a fun section. We call it rapid fire questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to list seven or eight different things. And I just want you to quickly choose one. So you can't say it depends because I know that everybody can give that to all of them. <laughs> 
That's a consulting answer. It depends. It's always one. Yeah. I, oh, I know. I've used plenty of them. <laughs> you you pick one that you think should be the case most often, right? I know you could always come up with that exclusion, but if you had to choose one or the other for models, which one would you choose? So I'll list all of them. And then at the end, I'll give you the opportunity to elaborate on why you answered the way you did on one of them. So you can pick one and kind of elaborate your thinking. So if you're ready, we'll get started here. Circular references or no circular references for model? No circular reference. VBA or no VBA? No VBA. Horizontal or vertical model? Hmm, vertical models. All right. Excel dynamic arrays in your models, yes or no? Yes. External workbook links, yes or no? Definitely no. Never, never, never. <laughs> named ranges versus no named ranges? Another sin. No named ranges. No. <laughs> All right. Do you do you recommend people follow formal standards like a standards board like SMART or others? Yes or no? Ugh, see, this is where the consultant comes in, right? It depends, but it's a difficult one. Yes and half or something. There's a half there. No, no, I don't. I, it's, maybe I'll elaborate later. Yeah, we'll let you elaborate on that one. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that one. And then the last one here is what is your lookup function of choice? And I'll give you four options. VLOOKUP, index match. X look up or choose? Well, unfortunately, index matches would be very nice, um, but uh, VLOOKUP was well, nice, but X lookup has killed all of them. But there's a model I've built where VLOOKUP still trumped X lookup, but X lookup for now, at least. All right. I would choose X lookup as well, but I could see different situations for all those. So why don't we have you elaborate a little bit on formal standards? I could tell you were struggling with that answer. So I think it's good to have some guidance, right? For people, some people just don't know. They don't, they, they, they don't know good practice, but I'm, I'm a bit about rules. I don't like rules being foisted on people that look, it must be this and it must be that. I think it's more principles, right? It should be like a set of principles that uh, kind of guide you in building models. I love the smart model uh, principles there. I like fast, um, uh, fast modeling uh, standards. So they are standards, right? But they should be more guidance, right? So for example, the Financial Modeling Institute, you could build your model five different ways, even with VBA and stuff, and you will still pass the exams, right? As long as it is visually appealing, as long as, for example, it's printable. Why is it printable? You, you build your model like a book. If you build it in a very well-structured way, very nicely designed, outlines and everything, is printing nicely, you, you can then have your model and you imagine your model will now be a 40-page book. And you'll be like, what? I built 40 pages. People prefer to review on paper and stuff. So there are some principles that you should have, right? Colors, how do you use colors? A style guide, you have a glossary, all that. So yes and no, because you could take like smart and build on that and but don't don't say, look, I, I can't do this this way. I mean, this complex formula that I need to use, for example, Lambda. Lambda is amazing. I used Lambda in a model recently to build, automate a very complex calculation. It looked complex. Before, I wouldn't have done that. But now I've changed my mind that I can use these wonderful new array fun functions to, to really build complex models and then explain in detail how I did that somewhere else. So again, if I use rules, I would say, nope, you can't do that. So it's yes and no. It's, it's not complete no or complete yes. Totally makes sense. I, I can totally understand that. So appreciate that answer. So we have just two questions left. We're you know coming up on the end of our time. The first is we like to ask every guest to kind of give a nugget they've learned during their modeling career 
that they could share with our audience. So it may be one nugget that they think would really help people that are you know, trying to become better modelers. I did a series or something called the six principles of thinking like a financial modeler. There are six principles there. So if I was to pick one out of those six, it would be visualize the model before you build it. You need to sit down and visualize the entire model before you open Excel. And every modeling project is different to understand the purpose and stuff. So the, the nugget for me is visualize your model before you build it. Thanks. Great advice there. I like that. I'll have to keep that one in mind. And last question, if our audience wants to learn more about you or get in touch with you, what is the best way to do that? Um, so the best way is um, maybe check our website, dbrownconsulting.net. And if you go to training there, you'd see some training on advanced financial modeler training. We have a financial modeling academy that we do. It's a 10-week, I mean, eight-week program, which you'll do the financial modeling institute exam at the end of that. And we groom you and everything on being a top modeler and that. So you could check out dbrownconsulting.net for that. Or you could check me on Twitter, dbrownanalyst is my Twitter handle. Uh, D Brown Analyst, I think, is also Instagram and stuff. I don't really use that that much. And if you go to YouTube and check uh, D Brown Consulting, you see quite a lot of videos I've created on modeling, Excel, and the rest. So you could check me out on those platforms. Great. Well, we'll put all those in the show notes so people know where to find you. And you know, if there's anything else you want to share, feel free to send that. But thank you so much for your time today, David. Really enjoyed uh, chatting with you and learning a little bit more about you. And I'm excited for our audience to get to learn about you. So thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, looking forward to uh, seeing this and also all the wonderful stuff you're doing. I'm going to follow you, Paul, and uh, I'll be hounding you for stuff too. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you, David. Appreciate it. What a great episode we just had with David Brown. Fascinating guest. So it was really enjoyable to have him on. You know, two things that I really liked about the episode that I just want to talk about here for a minute is I loved his story about teaching, having a passion for teaching, how he explained how he got up on the table as an eight-year-old and taught the whole class. And there are two things that stuck out from that clip to me. And first, we're just going to listen to that clip real quick, and then I'll explain what stuck out to me. I love to teach right from as a kid. My, my teaching career started at age eight. How did that start? <laughs> what happened at age eight was my, my teacher in class was trying to teach all, some algebra or something. I can't remember even the topic and no one was getting it except me. She tried for two days in maths. Could, no one got it. And she said, hey, David, come and teach the class. So I kind of climbed the desk. I was so short and I took the chalk and I taught the class at age eight and everyone got it. So I taught the different method and everybody got it. So I love that. You know, at age eight, he's up there teaching. So there are two things I took away from that. One is find your passion, enjoy what you're doing. And two, be willing to put yourself out there, right? He was willing to get up on the desk. He was willing to climb up and, and teach everybody. So I just kind of, I love that. And it shows in the way he explains things. Like when he went on later in the episode and explained how he explains the balance sheet and ratios to non-finance people without using a single number. That was brilliant. I really love that example. And the second thing from the episode I want to briefly talk about is AI, right? AI is all the rage, chat, GPT, BARD, generative AI. And the reality is it's going to make our lives a lot easier. It can help us in models, can reduce errors. It can provide code for us. And so I want to share and talk about the clip where David talks about AI and how he sees it playing out in the short term and the long term. 
So I'm going to go ahead and start that clip. We'll stop it in a minute and talk a little bit about it. So I think, I mean, AI is great. I think for the short term, you should just take AI as that, take chat, GPT, and AI in general as your personal assistant. Take it as one really smart personal assistant. And think about when you build models, right? I'm building a model on stuff, one obscure industry, I'm not too sure. Ah, let me go to Google. No, go to chat GPT first. Take your personal assistant. Hey, um, this um, stuff around the oil and gas related stuff, I mean, there's this new law that came out. How will that affect my model and my calculation around equity? I love that right there of using it as a personal assistant and giving the example, instead of going to Google, Go to ChatGPT, go to your generative AI and ask it about that rule. How will it help me understand that obscure thing that I don't have a lot of experience in? So that's one example. Let's go ahead and continue listening to the clip. Type that, send that to ChatGPT. ChatGPT gives you a detailed answer and stuff. You can use that personal assistant, ChatGPT, to enhance how you build models and kind of speed up how you build models. So in the short term, I see that happening. Just take it as your personal assistant. Actually ask questions like a human being. You get better answers that way. So I love that there is basically uses your personal assistant. You'll get better answers if you talk to it like a human. So don't be afraid of chat GPT. Look at it as an ally, as a financial modeler. Don't be concerned. It's going to take your job. Now let's go ahead and listen to him as he talks a little bit more about the long term for chat GPT. Chat GPT gives you a detailed answer and stuff. You can use that personal assistant, ChatGPT, to enhance how you build models and kind of speed up how you build models. So in the short term, I see that happening. Just take it as your personal assistant. Actually ask questions like a human being. You get better answers that way. Now, the second thing, obviously, ChatGPT AI in general will build models for you. They're going to be able to build models in Excel. Again, just like a personal assistant, like some, some junior modeler, that has built a model, you need to review those models and ensure that everything around what the client wants is what that model says. So before, if you are spending 80% building and 20% talking to the client and understanding details of what the client needs, internal client or external client, you're going to flip that. You're going to spend 20% in the model mechanics and 80% in the human mechanics of talking to the client and understanding in detail what they need so that your model can be super, super efficient. So AI will help you build some part of that, but it's still left for you to understand the purpose of this and the entire purpose and in general, be able to do more of that human connection and that uh, telling the story. Uh, and I think that's the symbiosis that's going to happen. Lots of people are scared of what's going to happen, but to me, I think just embrace it it's here. There's nothing you can do about it. Embrace it and see how you can be far more productive than what you're doing now. And that's how you can enjoy AI. So I love that. What I really like is instead of spending 80% of the time on the model, spend 80% of the time with the customer. You're going to have to review what ChatGPT does. But in time, AI is going to build models for us. And that will allow us to be a better modeler. So my message when it comes to AI is embrace it. I think he summed it up so well. So I just want to take a few minutes on that and encourage you, if you haven't been embracing AI, go ahead and check it out. Spend some time. You might be surprised how it can help you in your models, in your job to be more efficient. So as we wrap up this episode, first, I just want to remind everybody, please submit questions. You know, this is only episode two, so there hasn't much time for that. But go ahead and submit your questions. You can send them to pbarnhurst at the fpnaguy.com. And we'll go ahead and discuss them in a future episode. So we look forward to hearing your questions, what you want us to discuss. You can also send a great guest suggestion if you have one. So once again, thanks for joining me on this journey. 
I'm super excited to continue talking about financial modeling to help bring you the best and brightest people in the world about financial modeling. And as a reminder, you can get CPE credit for having listened to this podcast. You'll go to earmarkcpe.com, download the app, and you answer a few simple questions, and you can get credit for your CPA, CMA, so you can get that CPE credit. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, please share the podcast with your friends and go ahead and subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Until next time, thanks for joining me. Financial Modelers Corner was brought to you by Financial Modeling Institute. Visit FMI at www.fminstitute.com backslash podcast and use code FMC15 to save 15% when you enroll in one of their accreditations today.